During Advent, we are studying uh, the four titles given to Messiah by the prophet Isaiah. And it's beautiful, right? A child is born to us. And wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And last week, uh, we saw that Jesus is mighty God. And today, we look at the fact that Jesus is everlasting father, which is an interesting title, if you think about it, for the son of God. Everlasting Father. And the titles that Isaiah gives uh, seem somewhat contradictory because, uh, but in reality, I don't think they are a paradox or contradictions. Uh, Instead, they're showing the majesty and the supremacy of the Godhead as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and particularly the Son himself. He is both a child and a counselor, Isaiah tells us. Uh, A son and an everlasting father, a baby and yet a mighty God. And so the the point that I want us to see today is a big one, and there's multiple layers to this, but Jesus reveals to us um, who God the Father is. Jesus fully reveals to us who God the Father is and shows us the heart of the Father. And we really wrestle to believe that's true, but it is rock solid, the truth. In Colossians 1, um, Paul writes, For in Jesus, in him, all the fullness of God was what? Pleased to dwell, was excited to dwell, was joyful to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross. So when we encounter Jesus... We are encountering encountering the fullness of God the Father. And please understand, uh, God the Son and and God the Father are distinct and yet both fully God. But when you see Jesus, he is the exact representation. He is the radiance of God. He is the, the imprint of God the Father, Hebrews 1 tells us. So when we encounter Jesus... We are encountering the fullness of the Father. They are one. And what a beautiful and comforting idea this is. And we're going to unpack that. The title, Mighty God, tells me that God is able to handle the details of my life, that God is more powerful than my problems. We looked at that last week. And today, the fact that he's everlasting Father tells me that he cares for me, uh, that he loves me, and that we are his children. Today, we're going to look at two things. Jesus shows us the Father and then being shaped by the Father's love. First, Jesus shows us the Father. And our Father provides for us. Um, when, when I was a kid, uh, my dad and I would go fishing a lot. Um, that's, he loved to fish. Um, he had a little fishing boat, a really janky one when I was a little kid. Uh, and uh, and actually, this week marked the 25th anniversary of my dad's death. He died when I was only 30, and he was only 62. But my dad and I fished a lot. It's one of the things we did a lot together. And so we lived in Indiana, in northern Indiana in particular. And so we fished a lot, but we talked about fishing more than we caught fish. We caught very, very few fish. And usually as we were fishing and not catching fish, my dad would tell me these stories of glory when he was a younger man and he and his buddies would go to Canada and they would forage in with their 
their, uh, their canoes and they would catch walleye and northern pike. And it was just like every time they threw a lure in, they would catch a fish and it was absolutely incredible. And he would talk and talk and I would say, well, let's go to Canada <laughs> because it seems more productive. And he's like, we will, we will, son, we will go to Canada. And year after year would go by, and we would talk about going to Canada, and we would talk about fishing. We would catch no fish. We'd talk about going to Canada, and we never went to Canada. And if I'm honest, I didn't have a ton of uh, kind of emotional frustration with my dad, but this, this was one of them. And I kind of started to hold it against him. Like, you keep saying we're going to go do this thing, just me and you, but it kind of feels like you don't want to have time just with me and you and go fishing. And it really felt like that, and I started to feel resentment about it. And it built year after year after year, we're going to do this. Well, I grow up, and I become a college student. We still don't go. I then get married, and then I'm in graduate school in seminary. It's my last year of seminary, and he calls and says, I want to take you on the fishing trip of a lifetime into the, the Northwest Territories of Canada. We're going to fly in multiple planes, and we're going we're gonna to have an amazing experience. But it was a cat's in the cradle moment, right? You know the song, Cat's in the Cradle, The Silver Spoon. It's about this, this relationship between a father and a son. And now I'm the one who's too busy. I'm like, Dad, I, I don't know if I can do that. It's like right in the heart of when I'm taking, I've already signed up for a class and I can't take a week off right then. And, and I hung up and I said, well, let me think about it, you know. And I'm frustrated. Like, why did you wait so long? And I hung up and Becky was like, you have to go on this trip. Even no matter what, you have to do it. And of course, I did. And and it was a long time coming. It was delayed. But that trip showed me it really was my father's heart to be with me and to take me on this experience. And my goodness, we caught fish (laughs) some other time. Matthew 6 says this, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is uh, alive and tomorrow's thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what do we eat or what do we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. I believe that Jesus is mighty God and everlasting Father, but I am prone to anxiousness and worry. And I bet you are too. But that's not fully congruent with the reality that Jesus is mighty God and everlasting Father. And Jesus shares with us this amazing resource we have as believers. He is everlasting Father. And he's mighty God, too. And so he has all the power and the resources to provide what we need. But not only does he have the power, he does desire to give us good gifts. Is this the grid through which you're living your life? I'm guessing no to some degree and yes to some others. But is this the grid through which you're living? And do you believe that God cares for you and that he wants to provide good gifts for you, delights in you even? Next point I want us to see is our Father does give good gifts. Luke 11 says this, what father among you, this is Jesus, if, if his son asks for a fish, what father among us, right, earthly fathers and mothers, if your child asks for a fish, will you instead give them a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give a scorpion? 
If you then, who are evil, know how to give such good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? The ultimate gift on earth. Jesus isn't being mean, by the way, when he calls us evil, right? Um, He's being honest. He's saying, if you, a selfish, uh, sinfully bent people who, who live on planet earth in this broken, fallen place, and your hearts are prone towards evil, if you would never do that to your child, if they ask for a good gift and you give them an evil gift, like a serpent or a scorpion, then how much more will our Father who's in heaven give us good gifts? But do you feel like God is withholding from you? Good from you. And if a good earthly parent doesn't behave like that, how much more awesome is our Father in heaven? But this is where, this is where the rub is, right? This is where we have to choose to believe that God is good. The next issue I want us to see is that our Father does discipline us. If God loves us and wants to provide and he's all-powerful, then I know what you're asking. Then why doesn't he give me what I want? Why doesn't he just always come through for me? Why am I left hanging? Why do I live in this state of expectation sometimes? Well, first, you know this if you're a parent, is that one of the worst things you can do is is to give everything uh, your child wants, right? To, to give them everything that they ask for or want. And the Father gives us what we need, including his correction for our good at times. It says in Hebrews 12, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So one sign of God's love is that he does discipline us, uh, that he doesn't say yes to everything that we ask for. He corrects us as a good father, and he shows us the better way and the path to walk on. Peter Kreeft is a, a theologian, and he says this, what agape means in the New Testament, and agape is one of the four words in Greek used for love. You know, in English, we have one word for love. In Greek, therefore, and agape is one of them, and that is the, the um, self-sacrificing love of God. What agape means in the New Testament is the love of God. Agape, or charity, is a scandal to reason because it means loving people, not just in terms of justice, you know, what they deserve, but simply loving them Absolutely. And it's not unconditional love, in a sense, because in the gospel, the condition is the the Son of God himself, right? And God does love the whole world. He loves his creation. He's created all things, uh, and, and, and by the creation itself, God loves the world. But his love that we're talking about today is one that is through Jesus Christ, through faith in Christ. So what I want us to see today is how much God loves us and to reflect on that through Jesus and how we can be shaped by that love, being shaped by God's fatherly love, being shaped by God's fatherly love. But as we talk about the fatherly love of God, there's obviously an enormous elephant in the room sitting right here in the middle of the room. And here's what it is. Our relationship with our earthly fathers often, if not always, shapes what we think and feel about our Heavenly Father. 
So many people have not been fathered well. We know that. Many, many people have not been fathered well. And so many people experience the absence of, the fa- of a father, either emotionally or physically or both. And in light of that, many of us are interpreting our view of God in a distorted way because we're seeing God the Father through the lens of our experience of our earthly father. And if you've had a positive relationship with your father, maybe that's a positive thing, and you're much more able to experience the love of God because of that. But many of us really struggle to believe that God is for us, like the Bible describes, because of our earthly father's relationship. They have an enormous influence. We know that. The power of of the father's relationships, mothers too, of course, but positively and negatively through their presence or absence in, in different ways. And so many of you have a father wound. But through the gospel, this wound can heal. <clears throat> you may carry <clears throat> scars for the rest of your life, but there can be healing. And God desires to bind us up in that wound. And he will heal it completely in his coming kingdom. So what would it mean for you to live in light of God's fatherly love? What would it look like for you to experience the fatherly love of God in a way that this reality actually made a difference in the way you interpret the events of your life instead of feeling the absence and feeling the loss and the neglect or, or just n- no words of affirmation or comfort? How, how would you experience it if, if what the Bible is telling us is true? So this can become the grid through which you experience your life. The good side. But the reality is, those of us that have a father wound often experience life in such a way that that becomes the grid. And we, we go out into the world every day kind of with this view that people will let you down. Uh, that you can't really trust other people. And that they don't really care. Colossians 1 says this, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That's true. But because of our relationship with our earthly fathers, that often just, it doesn't make its way into our head or our hearts. It's kind of like we have this armor on, and every time we hear the good news of, we don't have a father uh, of absence, but a father of mercies and a God of comfort, that just sort of ricochets off the armor of our heart because we've built up walls for good reason, perhaps even. But somehow, my prayer for myself and all of us is that the Holy Spirit would break down that armor and that the truth of God's love for us would begin to penetrate our minds and our hearts and change the way that we're able to experience life. In Luke 15, there's this beautiful section where Jesus is overhearing the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and they're grumbling yet again, murmuring. Why? It's almost always the same reason. It's because Jesus is hanging around the kind of people that they they feel that he should not be hanging around with. He has a relationship with people they have deemed as the sinners, They do not see themselves as sinners. 
And so Jesus begins to tell them uh, three stories, and they are powerful. There's a story of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and two lost sons. He asked this, if you had 100 sheep and one of them went missing, wouldn't you leave the 99 and go looking for the one lost one? And then after finding that lost sheep, wouldn't you bring it back to the fold and gather your neighbors and say, celebrate with me for I've found my lost sheep? Have you ever lost an animal, a pet? You know, I've, lost, I've had dogs go missing, uh, even... Uh, my most precious daughter that my mom got for me right before, uh, right after my parents' divorce. And, and Pepper, I was out walking and I didn't pay attention and he got loose. And for three days he went missing. And on Christmas Eve, we got a phone call. We put it out on the radio and, and the newspaper and everything. And somebody saw, heard this radio ad. He had wandered through horrible traffic all the way to, to the local mall near our house and made his way into the mall, and someone found him, brought him home, heard the thing on the radio, and called us, and we got our dog back on Christmas Eve. And I'm telling you, that helped me believe in the power of prayer. It really did as a kid. What a celebration we had when we got little Pepper back, our lost sheep, you know? And then he tells another story. If a woman has 10 coins and loses one, doesn't she tear the whole house apart until she finds this valuable coin, she does. And then he goes on to say, then she gathers all her neighbors and says, celebrate with me. I found my lost coin. She's been telling everyone, I lost one of my coins. I had 10. Now I only have nine. I can't find it anywhere. She's told everyone. Now she says, I found it. And then he tells the story, of course, of these two lost sons. We tend to think of the prodigal son, the only lost son, this this younger son who squanders everything. He takes his father's inheritance. He goes off in wild living. He squanders everything and then uh, decides to go back home. The father and the brother have assumed that their, their son is dead. He's been gone a long time. And upon his return, the father sees the son coming and he does something that people in the ancient Near East would never do. Men in the ancient Near East, he pulled up his robe and he ran to the son in tears and he kisses the son on the cheek and he embraces him and he hugs him and he puts a new robe on the son and he puts a ring on his finger and he throws an enormous party. Now, the older brother is angry about this wayward son that would be so received so beautifully and so well, but, but the father even loves him too and says, my son, come into the party. Don't, don't you see that each of these stories is a reflection of the father's heart? Each of these stories, Jesus is telling us, this is my father's disposition towards you. You're lost. We all are without Christ. But look at the Father's heart disposition. He's moved heaven and earth to get us into his fold. He sent his own son, and he rejoices with the angels in heaven when any of us come to faith and and return to him in humility, when the lost are found. This is the heart of the Father, what love he has for us. Now, there are two big ideas we've seen today. First is Jesus shows us the heart of the Father. He really does. 
He is the radiance of the Father and the exact imprint of the Father. When you see him, you see Christ. But many of us have this feeling that somehow God the Father, he is the God of the Old Testament, God of the law, God of judgment. And by the way, uh, that's not the story of God the Father in the Old Testament. He's full of patience and mercy and love and steadfast love. Uh, It's not simply judgment. But Jesus is the full radiance. He is the exact imprint. He gives us the clearest picture of who God the Father is. My favorite Christmas special growing up was Peanuts and Christmas special and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And some of you are old enough to remember, I've told you just recently about this, like how weird it was for us back then. Like you'd have to like study the, the TV schedule. You get TV guide out to figure out when stuff's coming and you write it down because if you missed it, you missed it, right? And so I'd watch Peanuts and I loved it and that was cool. But then I'd watch Rudolph and I would always be terrified of the abominable snowman, right? I mean, it's just so scary. But you know who I should have been really scared of? It was not the abominable snowman. It was Santa, Have you ever, as an adult, reflected on how mean Santa is in this story? He's horrible. He is short-tempered with Mama Claus. You know, she's trying to get him to eat, and she's just, he's so mean. Only perfect reindeer with no physical flaws can fly on Santa's special sleigh. Only the perfect will muster. The elves are singing to Santa. And this beautiful choir is singing to Santa. And here's what he says. Well, let's get this over with. I have to go down and look after the new gear. (laughs) As they sing, he totally ignores them. And then when they're done, Mama Claus is clapping and smiling. But Santa says, well, it needs work. I have to go. As all the other reindeer are making fun of Rudolph, because uh, he's just flown, like he, he's got the little black cap on his nose, hiding his imperfection. God forbid that he has any imperfection. He has this little black cap on his nose, and he starts flying, and Santa is so impressed until what? His imperfection shows up, and his, his nose is exposed, and it's gleaming. And then Santa goes up to his dad in front of this whole crowd and says, Donner, you should be ashamed of yourself. What a pity. He had a nice takeoff, too. It's horrible. <laughs> so while Santa is supposed to be jolly old St. Nicholas, you know, Rankin and Bass's version is clearly, you know what this is? No, it's an expression of fathers. It's their view of what a father is like. It absolutely is. Aloof, judgmental, perfect. You have to live up to his standard. Busy, irritable, unpleasable, withholding affection except if you have a perfect performance. Never admitting failure. Only perfect toys can be on Santa's sleigh, and the rest go to this weird island, you know, like where there's all this strange stuff going on. But this is how many of you see God. It really is. Many of you see God in the same way. Judging you, scolding you. You should be so ashamed of yourself that you're not perfect or that your kids aren't perfect or... 
He's aloof. He doesn't care. Every time you try something, it's like, well, it's not very good. I got to get on with my life, you know. (laughs) And the second big idea that we saw is this, that God the Father is an even better father than us as parents. I've been such an imperfect father. I am not nearly, (laughs) I'm not perfect at all, but I love my kids. And I want to give them good gifts. I love it. So does Becky. We delight in that. And, and we love giving them not just what they need, like tuition for college and, you know, rent money and food. I love giving them what just sometimes what they want. Not everything, of course. But isn't that fun as a parent to not only provide like just the basic sustenance, but to, to give them just desires of their heart at times to surprise them? And finally, a third idea that we haven't really explored yet is he's everlasting father. He's, ever, he's not just a father, he's the everlasting father. And Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, as he was called, said this, first, Jesus Christ is everlasting. Of him we may sing with David, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a theme for great rejoicing on our part. Rejoice, believer, in Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus always was. The babe born in Bethlehem was united to the word, which was in the beginning, by whom all things were made. The title by which Jesus Christ revealed himself to John in Patmos, that's the author of the book of Revelation, was him which is and which was and which is to come. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, to be token that he is the ancient of days. Jesus Christ is everlasting Father. Jesus Christ is the exact imprint and radiance of the Father. He shows us who the Father is. And he's way better than any earthly parent you've ever imagined. The best of the best. He's better. And I pray for all of us whether you've had a a good father on this earth or not, that his love would break through and that you would see the beauty of the love of God for you and that that would become the grid of your life, that he loves you, that he's for you, and that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, not for your perfect performance. In fact, the gospel is that your perfect performance could never earn you that. It's never, it's never enough, but it's not because God is expecting uh, perfection from those of us that can't provide it. Instead, he provides it himself. He sent his only son. He loved us so much that he sent his son gladly. He was pleased to send the son, joyful to send the son to save us. And I can't get over the imagery of this father running. That's God coming for you. For you. Jesus says that the father is running out for the lost uh, son or daughter and comes to you with, with an embrace, not a lecture. Why haven't you lived up to my standard? No, it's... It's, it's an embrace in the sun because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's an embrace, a robe, a new clothes. That is his righteousness that he's provided through the sun, the perfect life of Christ. 
and a ring and an invitation to a party, an eternal party where heaven and earth will meet, the new heavens, the new earth, where you will be robed in righteousness and with Christ forever because of what Jesus has accomplished victoriously through his life and his death and his resurrection. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you break down the walls that we have up when we fail to believe that you, the Holy One of Israel, could love us in the ways that Jesus has described to us. We understand, at times we understand, but that you are the Holy One. You're the Holy God of Israel. And because you're holy and we are not holy, and we know, we know that reality, we recoil from you at times, believing that you could never accept us. And indeed, without your son, your perfect son, you, you wouldn't, but in Christ you have fully and finally. Help us to rest in that. Help us to rejoice in that. Help us to live in light of the reality that you have loved us in such a manner that we've studied today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.